How does the behavior of flatworms change when given drugs such as Prozac or other Schedule I drugs? How are the brains and neurological systems of flatworms and other insects both similar and different to that of humans? Do other life forms, such as bacteria, have the ability to self-organize and form brain-like structures? Answers to these questions and more are all on today's episode of the Touring Rabbit Holes podcast, in which we interview Dr. One Pagon, a university researcher and professor in the field of neuropharmacology and biology, also host of the Bald Scientist podcast. So make sure you follow him on all all podcast players and find him on Facebook and Twitter and all the socials. Without further ado, today's podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Touring Rabbit Holes podcast. I'm very excited about today's episode. We get to interview another scientist who is also a podcaster. I'm very active on Twitter. I currently am active under the handle for my other show, which is called the Breaking Math Podcast. And on Twitter, I interact with a lot of other scientists and mathematicians. And I was recently introduced to... um, a new one who I'll introduce in just a minute. For those of you who are just joining us today, my name is Gabriel Hesch. I am host of the Breaking Math podcast and co-host of the Touring Rabbit Holes podcast. And this is my co-host, Dr. Alex Alaniz. Want to introduce you yourself? Hi, I'm, I'm, my name is Alex, and, I, and I'm a particle physicist, and I'm doing this with Gabriel to... Uh, <laughs> Get science out there. Yeah, I talked him into it. I talked him into it. And again, you guys have probably heard this story already, but Dr. Alaniz and I used to work together uh, at a government lab, and we would always talk about things like black holes or particle physics or even climate change around the water cooler, and we were kind of notorious for that, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought that Alex would be a really great podcaster. Now, um, before I introduce my guest, one thing that gets me really, really excited is when there are researchers and scientists who are really, really interested in the field, but also passionate about talking to the public. I guess we call that field popular science. Uh, uh, We have individuals who want to share uh, what they study with the layman. And this is where we get to introduce our our new host, or I'm sorry, our... (laughs) Let me say that again. This is where I get to introduce our guest for our day. There's a new show called the Bald Scientist Podcast. That is one word if you're going to search for that. If you go to anchor.fm or, oh gosh, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or any other thing, it's just Bald Scientist, one word, and then podcast. Um, And without further ado, I'll go ahead and introduce Professor One Pagon. Um, How are you doing today, sir? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited for this interview. Yeah, me too, me too. I know our audience is wanting to know, uh, can you tell us about uh, what are you a professor of and what have you studied? Well, I'm a professor of biology at Westchester University in Pennsylvania, and I essentially give drugs to flatworms to see what happens. (laughs) You give drugs to flatworms to see what happens. Oh, this is fascinating. This is fascinating. Now, I know that you have a lot of publications, both in scientific literature as well as in Oh, what's the other term? Just for general public interest? Mm -hmm. Where you've got four books out now, is that correct? Well, I've published uh, two books. I'm going to publish the third one, hopefully, 
uh, in 2021, everything has push, been pushed back because of the COVID and all these type of things. And I, I have, I have planned maybe two more, uh, of which I'm going to talk to you about, uh, hopefully today. Definitely. Oh, we very much look forward to it. Uh, okay. So, so, um, you've got, uh, um, and sorry, your, your degree you said is in pharmacology. Is that correct? Yeah. My, I have a bachelor's degree in general sciences, a master's in biochemistry and a PhD in pharmacology with a neurobiology emphasis. What kind of excites me is when we get to talk about the overlap of our podcasts. So our podcast, obviously, for because of our own interests, I'm an electrical engineer and Dr. Alanese is a physicist. We're very, very math and physics heavy. Uh, but one of our own fascinations is in uh, brain science. Uh, Dr. Alex Alanese does a lot of um, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I think I was telling you in our Twitter conversation, I am especially fascinated uh, with uh, brain science. Um, all things brain science, all things, and you know, um, including things like depression or schizophrenia or things like that. Because it just so happens that I have a lot of friends uh, who are very close to me who suffer from a number of these things. And what's cool is I've seen them get help and get better. And that makes me extremely interested in that field in particular. So I'm not an expert in that field aside from my own stories, which hopefully might spur some curiosity. But the fact that I get to talk to you about this is uh, really exciting. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, uh, to this. So, so yeah, uh, that's cool. Um, one other question I want to get into before we dive, uh, before we deep dive into the, su the subject matter is, what got you interested in podcasting? That's a, it, it's, it stemmed out from my interest in sharing my science with the public. All right, that's mm -hmm. kind of the formal uh, justification for that. Okay, however, yes. I'm doing it for many reasons, including for my mental uh, health. <laughs> if only, to, yeah, because uh, uh, it keeps my mind occupied. I'm actually working for, from home uh, this semester. I'm actually on sabbatical, so that that came up really uh, well scheduled in a way, even though I applied like a year ago or something like that, but. I love talking about science. I, I, I'm an unapologetic science nerd and geek. <laughs> okay, so nice. uh, and I guess I'm in good company with you guys. So that's a uh, that, totally. that's a good uh, a good pair right there. So and I've been known to talk about science to whoever is within earshot. And mm -hmm. you know, I, I was interviewed in a series of podcasts uh, in a, in a row recently, and after one of them, particularly the Ologies podcast. I got a lot of feedback uh, saying that, well, you know, uh, we like uh, what uh, what we heard and whatnot. And one friend of of in Twitter, she actually said, well, you should have your own podcast. And, and I, something clicked, <laughs> okay? And I began educating myself. I have uh, quite a few friends that have helped me, helped me uh, along the way. Uh, the first couple of uh, podcasts, actually the only two uh, episodes that I've uh, released, are horrendous, meaning that uh, I, I speak my mind and everything, but technically I'm not very adept. Uh, thank God for my son. He's a techie guy, and he uh, he knows Linux and all this type of magic and whatnot, and he helped me set up the, my computer with, you know, the optimal uh, thing, and he touched me. Uh, he touched me. He taught me <laughs> how to uh, reduce the noise, all these type of things. So I'm learning and I'm having a lot of fun with it. And I can uh, tell you in confidence that I'm going to improve. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. So we're on a similar learning curve. We started off crudely. In fact, we put up those first episodes as bonuses at the end, but it was very crude and rough. And we're still, at time, episode to episode, we still have problems with lighting and we're, we're definitely on a learning curve ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for, for video podcasting. Oh, video has been a whole new world. I mean, uh, you know, like we we, we kind of wanted to shoot for the moon, but you learn so Like when you buy all kinds of equipment, you have to spend time to learn that equipment. Otherwise, it's going to be crazy. We've had episodes where the lighting is completely washed out on one camera. We have three cameras here. So <laughs> we know how that learning process goes, and we are definitely in the midst of it ourselves. So, so yeah, yeah. Um, I love audio. Uh, and uh, audio, I, I think we, we uh, well, I, I had a mentor. I, I had somebody from uh, a local radio station show me the ropes. So I learned very quickly with that. So that was cool. So I, I wanted to say I, I, I understand your, your need to chat about or talk about science. Um, to me, learning science for the sake, learning anything for the sake of learning is pretty useless to me. And you have to use it, and one of the ways you use it is to, you educate the world out there. And, and there's a, just a nice feeling of knowing that you conveyed knowledge or, or an improved worldview to someone out there who was curious. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, quick question. Actually, this is un, uh, unrelated directly to, to, to the podcast. Are you, by chance, uh, recording your own voice, uh, or is it only, only Skype on your computer? Uh, just, just voice. Okay, okay, so it's just your computer, it's not in a microphone or anything? Uh, no, I have an external microphone uh, right now, okay. and I'm recording on a uh, software called Audacity. I'm sure you know about it. Yes. Perfect. That's what awesome. Okay, cool, cool. Only reason why is just for optimum sound, I wanted to, if, if you could send us your WAV file Absolutely. after this interview, we will... Beautiful. Cool. <laughs> that was an unrelated question, but... Just for the sake of quality, so. No, no, I, I remember that you asked me to do that. So uh, as soon as we began talking, I started recording, so. Oh, beautiful. Thank, excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's another little trick that we learned. I had some old old interviews where you couldn't hear the person I was interviewing because it didn't save well on my computer. So, yep. yeah, that's awesome. Yep. Thank you so much. Okay, well, uh, without further ado, um, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to go to your website. And I think even on this video podcast, we'll even show a screenshot of going to your mm-hmm. website. Uh, and uh, I want to I want to talk about some of your, um, oh, that's your Twitter page. Let me go to your website right now. It's Bald Scientist. Is that right? Uh, BaldScientist.com. Okay, cool. We don't have a website. We debated for a long time whether we should do one or not. We haven't yet. But we are debating. Uh, I like your website a lot, actually. It's uh, it's very cool. Who did your artwork? I'm curious. Pardon? Who did the uh, graphics, the the cartoon picture of oh, you? Oh, that was Ethan Kokak. He's one of my friends okay. on, on Twitter. You know the avatars on Twitter that they have? They're like cartoons and whatnot. He's making. He's yeah, made yeah. made those. Okay. Yep. Oh, very cool. Very cool. We have some cartoons of us. Actually, I've got a friend of mine who did a cartoon of Dr. Alex Alanese and, and myself as um, Doc Brown and Marty McFly from Back to the Future. Ah, that's a very cool. funny cartoon. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to show it to you. Okay. So uh, I'm going to go, if you don't mind, uh, I know there's the About section. Uh, there's also my books. I think I might, um, we talked a little bit about About, unless there's anything else you'd like to say about yourself. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm good. Uh, I'm a family man. Uh, I have three kids. They are all adults right now. My youngest is 19, the techie who I mentioned before. And uh, I don't know what else. I mean, uh, I'm a bald guy. I love talking about science, (laughs) you know. (laughs) 
So no, let's let's go look into the books. Cool. Yeah, let's go to the books. We're also family guys too. I I have one son. I'm I'm a single father. Okay. Um, he's he's three years old, and uh, I have no time for research at home because he is a very active kid. I can't even. I can remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fun stuff. This book is exciting. If I go in reverse order, the first book that I see here is The First Brain, The Neuroscience of Planarians. Fascinating. Can you tell us about this book? Absolutely. Uh, he, he, that, that book was my first uh, writing project, and it had an interesting story, too, because <clears throat> about maybe 2012 to 2011, or no, I have to go back. In 2009... I got kind of the idea of thinking about writing a book. And then I started educating myself uh, on the topic. And almost everyone advised me to blog first. Because I have a lot of experience writing technical papers and my thesis and my dissertation, things like that. But try, trying to translate that into popular science, which is what I wanted to do, it took a little bit of tweaking. So I established my blog. My original website was boldscientist.wordpress.com. And I started blogging. That was in 2010. Okay. Uh, in 2012, I, for the first time, decided to write a proposal. Uh, again, I don't have an agent. I, I, I still don't have an agent. But if you have an agent in the audience who's looking for a really cool guy, so I'm, I'm here. Just so you know. And I'm the kind of person that uh, whose philosophy is that if I don't ask, the answer will always be no. All right? So that, that, that's what I, I, I thought. So I started sending proposals to uh, different places. Oh, and I, and I wasn't very good at titles at the time. The working title of the first brain was The Neuronal Worm. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> Horrible, but <laughs> but uh, but uh, and thank God a colleague of mine suggested the first brain and it worked out pretty well. So uh, one uh, publisher, academic publisher, uh, I'm not going to mention it. Well, they they rejected the proposal and they said no, it's not good for us and whatnot. So I kept sending it uh, to places and a very obscure publisher called Oxford University Press picked it up. <laughs> Okay, and one thing led to another, and basically the first brain, it's an excuse to teach pharmacology and neuroscience, brain science, using the flatworm that I use in my research as a main character, uh, if you will. Okay, even though it was published by an academic press, it's more like a, a popular science book because I start from the basics. And I had a lot of fun with it. And I, and I explained some of the research that I do. I explained what the brain is, what the brain does, things like that, but at a popular level. But I'm very proud of that. That was my, my first, uh, non academic, uh, publication, as it were. Nice. You know, as you're saying this, I actually really, really enjoy you, you talking about your story of how you go from academic uh, language and, you know, being a, a prolific publisher in academia to going to the popular science. Now, let me tell you why. 
I think right now there's a wealth of scientists out there who have a desire to do that, but haven't yet, you know, blazed that trail that you've blazed. There's some, there's certainly some out there, but you are in the middle of it right now. So not only is this episode for people who just want to hear other science podcasts, but this episode almost could be marketed to people who maybe want to start a podcast in yeah. science or some yeah. other niche. You know, like I, I, this almost inspires me to... I've been wanting to make a Discord server for content creators. Maybe we should do that and attract people who are subject matter experts and, you know, you could uh, have your tips and tricks for them, such as start off with a blog and learn yep. the lingo of popular science. So yeah. very cool. Very cool. You know what? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to make a, a proposal for you right now because I'm planning to do an episode on, of my podcast precisely about popular science writing. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. I'd love that. I'd love that. That'd be very cool. Yeah. And actually, I, I'd say Alex has a little more experience. I mean, I'm happy to. Definitely happy to. Alex has a little bit more experience than I do. I just jumped right in and I, I think we got lucky in a few instances, but I, I'd be happy to be on that. that um, oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So, so very cool. So just can, can we get a little bit? I'm curious as to the what's inside your book. Um, you're talking about pharmacology and neuronal warm, which is what the original title is, right? <laughs> can you just give me a little bit of how does that progress to, I see the picture going to the first, it looks like a, our brain, looks like a human brain. Yeah. So you're going from a warm to our brain and evolution. You, do you follow the evolutionary path? Yeah, well, that, that's the... And how does... Well, and how does doing your drug research help, or, or oh, what is it? Uh, what's the connection? Okay, so that that's another uh, really cool story, because I did my PhD in a physical chemistry lab. Okay, okay. so it was a uh, my late uh, advisor. He was a really great guy. Uh, it was a, at Cornell University, and he was a hardcore physical chemist. But uh, he was also in the pharmacology program, and I decided to join his lab. Okay, so I was characterizing the dopamine transporter and its interaction to cocaine using a cell line and biophysical biochemical methods. Okay, okay. but I, I, I've always loved biology, but I never took zoology. I knew about planarians, but I never worked with them or anything like that. While I was in my uh, while my PhD, uh, while, while I was doing my PhD, which incidentally. I was a non-traditional student. I went back to school at 35 to, to do my PhD. So, and what I saw in 2001, a paper in which they were able to get uh, planarians, the flatworms that I'm talking about, addicted to cocaine, right? And that, yeah, that got my eye because you wouldn't think that a flatworm, okay, uh, was so similar uh, the physiology of a flatworm was so similar to our own physiology. And apparently it was. So I went to my advisor and I said, well, George, we have to test it in the lab. This is a good model and whatnot. But, but of course, he was a phys physical chemist. He actually said, well, no, when you have your own lab, you can do it. And that's precisely what I did. Uh, uh, yeah. So, but then again, as I said, I knew next to nothing about flatworms. I began educating myself. You know, and they're, you know, how to, you know, keep them, <laughs> where to get them, all these type of things. At the same time, I was characterizing certain compounds that ended up being antagonists of cocaine in the cell line system that I was working, uh, working on. Okay. 
And actually, I don't know if you can see that I have a tattoo in my arm. Okay. Here. Yeah, yeah. This is a cocaine antagonist that we characterize in, in our laboratory. Yeah. I can send you a picture oh, wow. of it. It's called Parthenolite. And it works <laughs> in planarians as a behavioral antagonist of cocaine. Okay? Okay. Meaning that whatever effects cocaine induces in the behavior of planarians are counteracted by Parthenolite. All right? I associated myself later on with an electrophysiologist from the University of Puerto Rico, a friend of mine, and that compound does work on rats, okay? Essentially, I'm not trying to solve addiction because it's a very, the addiction is very complex. It's more like, mm -hmm. uh, trying to alleviate the toxicity of cocaine. Okay. And that's the first, uh, you know, the first step doing the pharmacological characterization of that. Ever since that, I've got tested a few other compounds, not only with cocaine, I've tested cocaine, uh, nicotine and many other compounds, and I'm getting into regeneration because planarians are uh, the kind of worms that you can cut their heads off and they will regrow every part of their bodies, including a brain, in the right way. If Can you imagine how would it be like if we ever learned how to do that? Uh, you were oh my gosh. <laughs> no, I mean, that's critical as we have an aging population, regeneration of, of brain is uh, you know, uh, something that I think there's a lot of interest and in, a lot of different approaches to it at the moment. It's stem cells, and now I'm hearing from this, uh, study, you know, using the, the model from the worm. That's yeah. Does regenerate itself. Regenerating a brain. That is, oh, the philosophical and, and science oh my fiction. God. Oh, my God, yes. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, oh, wow. Sorry. I'm just. No, I'm don't, just don't, don't apologize. Right let, let me give you more reasons to be in awe. If you, cut a, <laughs> if you cut a planarian, I don't know, in 200 pieces, okay? Uh, if you keep them and, you know, nourish them, each piece will regrow a new worm. Okay, so which one, which one was the real worm? <laughs> okay, so, uh, and that, that opens the, uh, again, pun absolutely intended, the proverbial can of worms about self-identity <laughs> and all, all these type of things. Wow, that's fascinating. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious about scientific ex uh, explanations for that. I mean... So I'm going to have to pass that to my daughter. She's a junior in college. She's going to get an undergrad in, in biology, but she's really vectoring towards ecology. She's looking at climate change, and she has a somewhat of a physics and math background, and she's working these kinds of labs and these kinds of issues, and she's always thinking about projects. So I'm going to have yet another project Absolutely. For her to I'll be happy to, yeah. to, to talk. I, I get requests all the time from undergrads, high, high school students, and you know, uh, uh, and I love spreading the uh, the word about planarians. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's incredible. Um, okay, so I mean, I have so many questions I want to ask you about this book in particular, especially uh, with respect to what you learned or what your colleagues have learned uh, about treating some mental ailments. I think I had told you in our Twitter conversation that um, among my very, very close circle of friends, without naming any names, um, I, I have friends who have crippling bipolar disorder, um, it, like uh, to the extreme. It's, it's very hard to explain, but also friends who are, are schizoaffective. And I'm very happy to say 
that in both instances, these individuals have gotten very, very successful treatment. For those who are watching this show, you know, in the case of like bipolar disorder, um, uh, individuals where if you're on an extreme low, uh, um, there is this like fear and this paranoia that you, you can't do anything right. Um, like if you're counting back change at a supermarket, suddenly you're paranoid that you can't do it right and you might make a mistake, but then you suddenly have this terrorizing fear that the cops are after you because you stole your groceries because you didn't count your change right. I'm trying to describe it, you know, a very real scenario. We know those who are, shall we say, you know, not experiencing depression. Of course, that's ridiculous. But you don't know that if you're having a crippling depressive episode or if it's a, a manic episode. I mean, anybody can Google search these kinds of things. You know, a, a good friend of mine thinks that they can uh, conquer the world on a manic episode. You don't have an accounting for how much money you have and you spend money on, uh, you, you, you aren't keeping track of how much money you've spent. You know, like you'll, you'll start one project at the house and then you'll start another project at the house and uh, it's 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 crazy. You will you will quickly run out of resources and not realize it. In fact, one of my friends thought that they could heal people just by being in the same room and sharing their optimistic energy. So it's crazy. Now I know that this could be a whole podcast in and of itself talking about the whys. Um, in their treatment was electroconvulsive therapy. I don't know how uh, familiar you are with the research. It was fantastic. It was. It was these individuals have gone on to be very, very productive, have gotten um, uh, their doctorate and, and are now publishing and, and practicing as a doctor. So it's very impressive to see the treatments. But I'm curious about some of what you've learned uh, about treating these or other ailments. Absolutely. Uh, and it's remarkable that it works because, uh, I mean, you, you, you are uh, engineers and uh, an engineer and, and a phys physicist, right? You know yes. that the more moving parts a certain contraption is, the more prone it is to break down. Okay? Yeah. So we have a, a nervous system, which in humans has about maybe 86, 90 billion, with a B as in bold scientist, uh, nerve cells. <laughs> okay? Mm -hmm. So I always, oh, and each of those nerve cells can form up to 30, an average of 30,000 connections with other nerve cells. Okay. So the complexity layers keep getting well, more complex. So it's no yes. wonder that there's mental disease and conditions like the ones you are describing. The, it's even more wonderful that there's no more of it, <laughs> uh, as it were. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, and planarians, even though they are not useful for, uh, I don't know, bipolar disorder, things like that, have been studied as a model of anxiety. Okay, mm -hmm. so and they do yeah. that by testing whether they want to go to the illuminated side of a petri dish or to the dark side, meaning uh, that these flatworms they are they are not big, they are not fast, they are not venomous. What do you do? Hide. Okay, so mm -hmm. they tend to go to the dark side. I mean, uh, on the rocks, things like that. But if you give them Prozac. They don't yeah. care. <laughs> wow. You, you know. You can give Prozac to flatworms. Exactly. Like and, and I'm going to tweet that. Uh, yeah, I, I, did, I didn't do that particular research, but I've read the papers. Uh, and, you know, yeah. it's yeah. a very oh, yeah, powerful yeah. model. But going back to the complexities and wonderful uh, idea of the brain, 
it's one of the, my main interests. Uh, I mean, it's something that it's uh, so unknown uh, right now. And you mentioned, for example, electroconvulsive uh, therapy. It does work. Mm -hmm. But why does it work? We don't know exactly. It's like a reset, uh, a factory reset, uh, as it were. As a reminder, that was what that was therapy that was used in the 50s, I remember, but abused in the 50s. Is that what we're talking about? And now it's come back uh, and it's come back much more scientifically and and, and well used. And controlled, yeah. Yeah. I don't believe in anecdotes. Am I about to use an anecdote? It, it's been a literal lifesaver for my friends. Like, medicine didn't work. There, there, there was no treatment that worked. And to get my friends out of this depressive state. And uh, they were like, you know, when, when, once all of the medicines didn't treat them, and it was literally months and months have gone by, they did ECT, and it was a lifesaver. So that's all I can say. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, so, wow, there's just, oh, man. So if... Uh, any, any of our readers or our, our viewers or, or listeners w- w- want to read more? The book is called The First Brain, The Neuroscience of Planarians by Dr. One R. Pagan. And forgive me if I mispronounce things. You did fine. I'm very bad about it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad. Now, you've got other books as well. And I figured just in the interest of time, we'll talk about a few of your other books. Your next book is called Strange Survivors. I didn't read as much about Strange Survivors as I did about the first brain because of my interest in the brain. But can you tell us a little bit about uh, why you wrote this and a few tidbits that someone might read in the book? Absolutely. That one, uh, I have, I'm full of interesting stories. Okay. So that, <laughs> that one has an interesting story, too. Once I got the proverbial writing bug, I decided to write another popular science book. But then my idea was to write a book about how venoms or toxins could be used in medicine. And I was going to title To Kill and to Cure. Okay? So that's a really cool thing and whatnot. So I began writing it kind of halfway. Both the publishers and I got wind that there was a book about venoms and toxins, not about medications, but just venoms and toxins to be published elsewhere. Okay. And we kind of freaked out. I am very grateful that my publisher, at, uh, the one who published Strange Survivors, they didn't drop me or anything. They, uh, the editor called me and he said, we want to keep you, uh, as a writer. Uh-huh. Can you give us like an alternate, you know, topic for a book? And I started thinking about it and, I came up with this idea, came up with this idea of writing a book about weird strategies of organisms that allow them to survive in nature. And I'm, uh, I go beyond pause or speed, things like that. I talk about venoms. Uh, I snuck venoms in, in that, in, in a few chapters. I talk about bioelectricity. I talk about, well, uh, several different things, uh, weird strategies. Okay. Including regeneration. Uh, which is one of the things. So I kind of condensed that that one, and and that I mean I had a lot of fun uh, in that sense because that book is bona fide popular science, and my experience as a professor helped me a lot because one of the courses that I teach at the university it's general biology for non majors. Okay, so wow. in a given semester I have a room of three hundred people almost full of English majors, literature majors, uh, I don't know, uh, nursing majors, uh, uh, non-bio majors. So I have to make the course 
interesting to, to those students, but I have to convey the information. Okay? Let me tell you, give you yes. an example. I can explain enzyme kinetics using Legos as a comparison. <laughs> okay? Nice. No, I understood, I understood enzyme kinetics as differential equations and cascades, but so I'm very interested in your, <laughs> your approach. Cool. You should do like a YouTube video with like animations. That's cool. That's yeah. very cool. So uh, you know that in enzymology, there's uh, uh, two, schools, two schools of thought, which are probably, uh, both will probably be true. One of them is the lock and key hypothesis, mm-hmm. meaning that the mm-hmm. substrate has a three-dimensional shape complementary to the enzyme pocket, right? The second idea extends the lock and key hypothesis with the induced fit hypothesis, all right? And I use Legos to illustrate that that example. Legos need to, uh, the pieces of a Lego, I don't know if I have to say, if I can say Lego, it's a trademark name or or whatever. I'm not worried about it. It's probably not a problem. Yeah, Uh, okay, so, so, yeah. So the two pieces of the toy, okay, they need to have complementary shape, but that's not enough. You have to give it a little push to, for them to click it in place. Okay? That's how I use those toys to explain parts of enzyme kinetics. Okay? So, and, oh. I, and I don't go into differential equations and whatever first because I, I haven't seen them in ages. And second, uh, I'm talking to students who've never taken uh, those equations. No, no, correct, correct. And, and I was in a graduate biochemistry course one time in my life, and a researcher was using Excel to approximate enzyme kinetics, and, and, and he, he showed me the equation, and it was a differential equation, and you know, it was fun. I solved it for him, and it was just an interesting problem. Yeah, very cool. The Merton something law. I forgot about it, uh, the name. Merton some, okay. somebody law. <laughs> interesting, okay. Yeah, so I know we were talking about um, elements in the book, Strange Survivors, and that was one of them, so... Um, cool, man. I want to get all of these books now. Seriously. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> this looks really, really cool. So, so I, I would imagine, I would imagine that past, uh, or before COVID that you would get clusters of students after class to come talk to you and, Absolutely. Just, and, 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 and just continue these conversations. And that's one of the things I, I miss. I used to teach when I was up at Los Alamos and there's a, the, an extension of university of New Mexico up in Los Alamos <laughs> is after the class. Because then you get the people who really took your lesson and really want to go beyond absolutely. it. It's so rewarding. You're absolutely right. It got a little weird in March when the university closed and everything transitioned to uh, remote learning. So yes. uh, I, I felt weird lecturing to a computer screen, <laughs> okay, uh, in, in my dining room. But we adapted, yeah. and that's why uh, the yeah. way we're doing it right now. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, all righty. Now, before we move on to the next book, uh, anything else that you'd like to talk about? Uh, any other in- in- interesting facts or hooks that you'd like to share from Strange Survivors? Well, uh, there's a, a few of them. Uh, the in the very in the very cover, there's the uh, oh brother, the uh, can, can I start again? Sure. Uh, uh, okay. Because the name of the uh, of the okay. In the cover itself of the book, there's the mantis shrimp, okay? Yes. Uh, which is not a shrimp or a mantis, <laughs> a praying mantis, but they call it like that. So that little guy has a visual system that out 
outworks out, you know, everything, our visual system. For example, we have uh, four kinds of photoreceptors. Most people have four kinds of photoreceptors in the back of our uh, eyes, okay? Three for color and one for black and white, quote-unquote, all right? So the mantis shrimp has, I, I think it has about 14 to 15 different uh, photoreceptors, okay? We can perceive about a hundred thousand different colors. I mean, which are essentially wavelengths. Okay. The mantis mm -hmm. shrimp has a much wider range of, uh, perception, as it were. We cannot imagine how the mantis shrimp can see because it, it, it will be able to, it's like, uh, you know, when you read about honeybees that can, who can, that can see in the ultraviolet. Okay. Or yes. pit mm -hmm. vipers. Who, that have the uh, organ under their eyes to detect infrared. So we cannot even imagine yes. how, how, how that feels like. And that's an interesting philosophical problem. Uh, okay. Uh, so what is it like to be a bat? <laughs> Remember that uh, essay? Okay. So yes. to perceive the world in, in sound waves or like a dolphin by echolocation, Okay, so all mm -hmm. of those mechanisms, weird mechanisms of survival, which are markedly different from ours. Because in our case, we humans, we are not the biggest. We are not the fastest. <laughs> okay, we don't have venoms. We don't. So what set, up, uh, set us apart? Intelligence is one thing, but that's not the whole story. Because one-on-one, -on -one, one person, it doesn't matter how smart she is. Okay? Against a saber-toothed tiger, game over. Okay? Mm -hmm. We combine our smarts with cooperation. Okay? Mm -hmm. We learn how to talk to each other and to organize ourselves. And for good, bad, or ugly, we'll look at the world right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. No, it's definitely an emergent property that we became, became social you. animals as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love emergent properties. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's all. Uh, there's other, I'm sure I'm not the first person to ask this, but when we talk about intelligence and we talk about uh, how do we quantify intelligence. Now, it's funny is actually Dr. Alex Alanis has a paper for a way of, of quantifying intelligence aside from the IQ test. I'll have to, oh I'll have to send you that paper afterwards. Uh, so, so, so very, very, very briefly, you know, an IQ test to me is a number that falls on a bell curve. And that's just seems to be too, too little information to, to quantify intelligence. And the, the approach I'm trying to develop, and I work for the Air Force and maybe human factors people might be interested in it, is one can imagine some experts designing a test in the future that's graphical, that in where you associate words with pictures and you know it's standard set of words, standard set of pictures, and you might give it to, say, first graders, and they will connect graphs. And then you might give the same uh, set to seventh graders or postdocs. And clearly the complexity is going to grow and there are mathematical ways to characterize the complexity of, of, of these networks and graphs, mm -hmm. you know, algebraic topology, how many two-dimensional holes, three-dimensional holes, et cetera. And, and, and maybe have a spectrum of these algebraic topology tools. They're, they're just computational tools that characterize uh, the graph is to see the progression of education, maybe see poor schools versus rich schools, 
a, 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 yeah. a smart MD versus an MD maybe you shouldn't work with, or oh, uh, but but in, but definitely capture it in a, in a much more graphical way. And 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 in your field, the physicists have, have showed up and, and they're beginning to map networks of the brain. And, and just like I can uh, project a three dimensional uh, cube onto a two dimensional plane and rotate it around, a two dimensional being will, will will mathematically understand 3D. It turns out, in a similar way, we have 10, 11-dimensional networks in our brain if, yeah. under MRI. Yeah. And, and so graphical methods of capturing intelligence it might be the way, and it might be the path towards artificial intelligence. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. And that's not just a tangent. The reason why I brought that up is because you had brought up intelligence, and then, I, and then, and then you brought up the jump from intelligence to cooperation, and then I was going to talk about um, what we think we understand about, uh, is it octopi or octopuses? <laughs> uh, actually, um, I learned about that. It's octopuses. Okay. Yeah, okay. And, okay. and we can talk about it when we talk about the book number three that's coming up, because I learned it in my research for that one. Okay, cool. Perfect. This is an interesting one here. Okay, I'm going to read the title of the third book of yours. Uh, it's called Drunk Flies and Stoned Dolphins, A Trip Through the World of Animal Intoxication. And that is tentatively going to be, going to be published on uh, May 2021 as of now? Yeah, that's kind of the tentative date. Uh, but I'm sure it's going to be pushed back a little bit more. I'm, I'm pretty much done with the book. Uh, so but I'm polishing it and everything. But, but again... Uh, uh, everybody's uh, homeschooling kids. You can relate to this, uh, you know, so, so everything yeah. is getting slowed down. But I'm having a lot yes. of fun with that book because I'm integrating uh, pharmacology, which is kind of my main thing, with uh, yes. a few ideas about organisms that are not so different from, from us. Okay? So the drunk flies part, let me uh, uh, tell you a couple of stories. If May I? Sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Okay. Definitely. So, did you know that male fruit flies, you know, the fruit flies that, you know, are, are around, the males, when they fail to get female companionship, okay, they prefer fermented fruits to normal fruit. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. They drown their sorrows in alcohol. Okay. And I'm not... Making fun of addiction is a very serious uh, problem, but uh, we can use animals like that to illustrate uh, this phenomenon. So uh, in the book also, I talk about the story of a few people who for whatever the reason, uh, which I never was able to, to figure out, they gave alcohol to elephants. Okay, we're talking about drums. What's more dangerous than a, than a bull elephant? a drunk bull elephant, <laughs> okay? And they had a lot of stories that they have to uh, get up in the Jeep and, you know, speed away from the raging uh, bull elephant, uh, uh, drunk, things like that, okay? And I have a, a lot of examples of organisms that actually seek out psychoactive substances, okay? And uh, wow. not humans, not humans. Okay. Right. So like bears eating fermented berries maybe or yeah. birds doing the same thing? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, wow. <laughs> How cool. And then with dolphins, don't they get high off of pufferfish, I believe? Yes. That's kind of the idea because the, the main uh, uh, information that we have is that we know that uh, certain, uh, in certain species of dolphin, they get into small pots and they, they don't eat the pufferfish. They just nibble on it, and the pufferfish puffs up, okay? And they pass yeah. the, the fish to each other. 
and they act <laughs> as if they were intoxicated. Okay. There's no actual research to actually determine that yet, but pufferfish secrete tetrodotoxin, which is a, a well, a very nasty to- toxin. Maybe in dolphins, they induce psychoactive states, or maybe they like the tingling sensation that they may get on the, I don't know if they have lips or, or you know, on, on, on their mouth. Yeah. Just like people yeah. uh, when they eat fugu, the traditional Japanese uh, dish, because mm-hmm. they, they like the tingling sensation that they get when they eat. Uh, but, you know, that tingling sensation, if it goes out of hand, it's paralytic. And that's due to tetrodotoxin. Okay, so Mm -hmm. but there's every indication that dolphins engage in that behavior, whether they are intoxicated or not. I'm sure somebody's researching that uh, right now. But I document the examples. There's many examples. They have seen dolphins of uh, several species. They play with pufferfish. You know, Mm -hmm. so. Wow. (laughs) Cool. There's probably something to to the idea that they're maybe getting some effects. Yeah. Were you going to mention something involving octopuses with this part? Oh, because I I learned that uh, uh, the the root of the word is Latin, not Greek. So it sounds, octopi sounds awesome. It sounds cool, but it's the (laughs) wrong uh, etymological uh, root. So uh, essentially it's octopuses. And I learned about that because people have given ecstasy to octopuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, the, the, yeah, you know, the drug that they use in raves uh, and whatnot. Yeah. It's really interesting because octopuses by nature are curmudgeons. Okay. They tend to be solitary. Even reproduction yeah. is a risky proposition because either uh, mate will die in the process uh, frequently. Okay, but yeah. you give uh, octopuses ecstasy, ec- ecstasy, they get more mellow, more social. Uh, oh my gosh! Okay, so and octopuses have have a brain. They have a brain absolutely different from ours. Okay, their brain wraps them wraps itself around their esophagus, their uh, digestive system. Okay, yeah. so and I mean it, it blows my mind literally because well not li- you know what I mean. <laughs> because yes. so so there's probably some conservation in the at the cellular level wouldn't you think the brain is very different but some conservation in the biochemistry absolutely and at the genetic level possibly oh yeah no no the neurotransmitters are pretty much the same my gut feeling is that it's a matter of the circuits uh any circuits that they mm. may have which uh will i hope that we get to talk about that later on because i think that we have to redefine brains not exactly as what they are, but about what they do uh, instead. Correct. Uh, okay? So, uh, yes. and maybe yes. this is a, a good uh, follow-up for some of the things that we want to talk about the brain. Uh, in 2019, I published a review paper, uh, which is titled, The Brain, a Concept in Flux. Okay? Cool. So, uh, in which I propose a few things. First, it's not my idea. People have thought about this type of things before. But I, uh, the, the whole story is that uh, in 2017, I was invited to the Santa Fe Institute. Uh, and I, yes. I'm i sure you know about that. And I actually... We know it well, yes. No, when, up the street. Yeah, because I, I went all fanboy when they invited me. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I got to meet Stuart Kaufman. 
Okay, so I have a, I have a picture with them. Uh, so and I've been re- wow. reading about the institute for a while. So anyway, they invited me to a group uh, workshop uh, about uh, liquid brains. So mm-hmm. and liquid brains is the idea that brains don't have to be uh, fixed uh, structures. We talk about beehives, ant colonies, things like that. Okay. Yeah. So my contribution uh, to that uh, workshop came up in the review paper as a concept in, in flux. And I propose, uh, again, uh, it's, of, of course, uh, uh, a work in progress. But for example, a microorganism doesn't have any nerve cell, no brain whatsoever, but any microorganism, if it wants to survive, knows how to swim, knows when to swim towards nutrients or away from a toxin. Okay, or from a, a, a very high temperature, things like that. All right, so that's decision making. Uh, all right, so uh, maybe it's not decision making in the as defined by a psychologist, but it's a it's a choice, it's a decision, nevertheless. So as you go up in complexity, we can have, for example, slime molds. Uh, certain species of slime molds, when there's plenty of food, they are single cells. They are amoebas, right? But when the thing yes. gets tough, they coalesce into a single organism. They begin to differentiate. They grow a stalk and reproductive structures. And once once they reproduce, well, you know, they uh, they go back to their amoeba-like state. So they learn to cooperate. That's uh, I, I like to call that brains on demand, uh, uh, as it were. There's even... No, no, oh, no, oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, it, definitely have heard about insect intelligence, and insect intelligence is a, is a method that's used in computer science to find efficient solutions. And, of course, you're talking about emergence again yeah. and say how stock markets behave and what stock markets are made out of lots of individual brains trading, right? And, and emergence of government and emergence of how we, 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 we coordinate. But let's go back to what you were saying. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, oh we're talking about slime molds. Uh, oh, okay. Right. Yeah. So... Uh, you know, slime molds, uh, you, now that you mentioned that uh, insect in- intelligence is being used for problem-solving, modeling, and whatnot, uh, mm-hmm. slime molds are able to solve mazes and all these type of things. In fact, I read a paper in which they uh, were able to make slime molds come up with the optimal solution for this, a subway system in Japan, <laughs> okay, the, for efficiency and, and speed and, you know, things like that. And they don't have a brain either. There's even certain organisms, uh, marine uh, organisms, that when they are in their larval stage, they have a bona fide brain and whatever. Once they develop, they stick themselves at the bottom of the ocean, okay? And they stay there for life. They reabsorb their brain. They don't use their brain anymore and they live happily ever after. So those are disposable brains, (laughs) all right? So, and in the paper, I keep developing that idea until I get to uh, super organisms, like, again, ant colonies and whatnot, which I describe as brain within brains. Because a tiny mm-hmm. ant has a, a true brain, but, and you would think that they uh, walk at random and all, these, uh, uh, and all these things, but when they are in the colony, they act as a single organism. Again, layers mm-hmm. upon layers of complexity and emergence. Right. Wow. No, and, and you're getting to something that I think the, the converse of that is I'm interested in artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. and that is 
you know, neural nets that are so popular today, they can solve lots of problems, but, but they're really quite dumb. I mean, they might be able to drive a car, but they're not thinking about their taxes or a dinner date or planning a, a tax strategy or, or, or whatever it might be. And I, I have a, a deep intuition that I'm trying to pursue that graphical methods, once again, can, can you know, graphs of interconnections, hierarchical graphs, and, and not just the graphs, but the dynamics associated with it, is the way to, 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 to move artificial intelligence away from just neural nets, which can solve a lot of problems, to the next level, to general intelligence. Absolutely. You will need to do some serious multivariate analysis with that. Right, right. And, and, and definitely use tools of graphical methods. Because how is it that you think about your university? You think about the president of the university, the departments, how the money flows, where the grants are, where the NIH is. You have a graphical representation of the universe. We need to start capturing that and the dynamics of that. Yep. Wow. Man, this is so cool. So the only, the only thing I have to add to this is there's this idea that has been brewing in my mind, and I'm sure I, this is another idea. It's got to be a popular one where, you know, we talk about the emergence of uh, consciousness and artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. and we talk about our own evolution. Uh, I often had this freaky idea where, you know, if there was another cognitant thing that emerged, uh, it's very possible that there's just no possible way we w that we just would not recognize it because what we recognize is so dependent on what how we were made that it would be impossible to recognize. And you, that's sort of like a, a culture shock. When you go from one culture to another, the different ways of doing things just leaves you shocked. Um, so what I'm getting at is this. I thought, I thought, you know, if there were some other um, evolved consciousness, uh, what if, this is just a big what if, with our interconnected, you know, worldwide internet, what if it was possible that there would be some sort of a digital life in the primordial digital ooze that is, you know, like whatever happened to MySpace. Like M MySpace was before Facebook, but you know, if you've got bots that are individually still still active on MySpace or Wikipedia and and you've got things that, you know, that somehow like it might be possible that there's something that emerges that it's impossible for us to recognize. And we would say, Gabriel, that's a stupid idea. Clearly it's not alive. You don't know that. No, the, I think people have speculated on can the internet become conscious in, in, the, in the way you're thinking yeah, about. Yeah, we wouldn't recognize it is what I'm saying. Yeah, so in, in those lines, have you read Arthur C. Clarke's uh, book, Childhood's End? No. No. Have, I've read the 2001 series, but not uh, that. Okay, so childhood, Childhood's End is about something pretty much like that, Okay. Uh, they, uh, in a fictitious future, I, I really wasn't expecting to talk about this, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, so in a distant future, they discover uh, uh, an extraterrestrial race comes to Earth. Okay, and uh, they they are received in the expected way. That some people will freak out, some people will not, and whatnot. And it ends up in humanity coalescing into something more. Uh, okay, that that yeah. we a human will not understand. Not even the extraterrestrials that came to Earth, because they were like gatekeepers, like uh, they they were nursing hyper intelligences, and we were able to become a hyper intelligence, but they wouldn't. Uh, uh, 
Oh. It's really cool. It's really cool. And wow. if we talk about the internet becoming conscious, go no further than Terminator, Skynet. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's something I hold near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Yep. Professionally. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming. <laughs> and I'm writing, trying to write papers on doctrine for the, for the Department of Defense that it's coming. Yeah, yeah, literally in our Google Drive for our podcast, which I will link in this episode, you literally have Dr. Alex Alaniz's white papers talking about the need for doctrine for such things <laughs> as, we, as we're talking about now. So for yeah. those who want more extended reading, there you go. Yeah, and Asimov uh, laws will not work. Trust me. <laughs> when, yeah. Yeah, no, they will not care about us. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're right. They they probably would not. If you guys want a scary analogy, uh, I was talking to to the host of my other podcast Breaking Math about this topic about the idea of hyperintelligence. And we're talking about what would it mean if if you know to experience the next level of intelligence. And I I know that this sounds a little out there. But uh, he says, okay, so if there was another level of intelligence where we had more sensory organs that might be connected to the internet and you have just uh, uh, orders of magnitude of more information, but not only more information coming in, but the ability to meaningfully process it. If you had, um, you know, uh, uh, a hyperintelligence, the difference between the experience of consciousness of a hyperintelligent being and us is kind of like the difference between us and, as you said earlier, slime molds. Think about, do slime molds uh, think about how to do a mortgage? No, the, that's not even possible for a slime mold to think about a mortgage, nor is it possible for us to even understand what the next level of hyperintelligence would be, if there would be one, or if there's some terminal uh, upper limit to that. I think the machines are moving faster than the biology, but we are, at the moment, interfacing, beginning to interface the brain directly to the internet. And I've heard people talking to each other that are miles apart or controlling things that are miles apart. So probably in the next few decades, we're going to experience, humans are going to experience connect, being connected to the internet of things. And it, that will be something of the flavor that we're talking about. Yes. And then the machines will just bl blow past that, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so... So much to talk about. Now, uh, I know we're a little bit limited on time because I have to pick up my son from the babysitter soon-ish. However, before we do that, I know I see there's three books here, and if you don't mind me going into this, I can edit this out of the podcast if you'd like. I know on the Amazon page, you don't have three books. You have four. Um, can you tell us about your fourth book? It's a, is it a fiction book? It's a short story. It's a short story. It's called The Voice of the Heart. Okay. And it's uh, it's not autobiographic, autobiographical, but it comes from my experience. Let me uh, elaborate. I have three kids, okay? Uh, my daughter, uh, she's uh, 29, and I have two boys. Uh, the 19-year-old, who's a techie, uh, the, the one that I mentioned mm -hmm. before, and my 22-year-old has autism, okay? He is yeah. the most delightful person. He's smart. He's sociable. He is... Uh, he's a delight. He will also walk in traffic without giving it a second thought. Okay? Uh -huh. So, that story came up from my musings uh, uh, about, I don't know, uh, uh, as any parent, as any parent, I'm afraid what's going to happen when I'm not around. Uh, uh, okay? Yeah. So, yeah. I toyed with the idea, what if in the far future, a father like me would be able to download his uh, brain or intelligence or consciousness or whatnot into a robot. That robot will be able to take care of his son 
his whole life. And that Oh my gosh. That's the uh the gist of the story. And a couple of things happen. I'm gonna send it to you. When I send <sighs> Nice, nice. No, that that I, I'm sure parents in that situation that's not a that's not an original thought of wishing yep. that they could just be around, right? Yeah. And 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 in your case, you're 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 thinking about using a robot, but I'm sure that parents all over the world are thinking, you know, what's going to happen? And I wish I could stick around, or I wish I could my yeah. you know, my wisdom. I'm the one who most cares, right? If if I would be For able to child, do that, I I, I would yeah, do it. Yeah. Uh, in a in a microsecond. Yes. Oh wow! Goodness! Oh, that's so deep. I didn't expect that. I didn't know. I didn't know what to expect with that one. But oh, that one tugs at the heart in such a way. Oh, I'd love to read that one. Yeah, I I'll would send like it to, to you that. guys. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, I don't. There's unfortunately, I don't. I don't have a whole lot more time right now. But this has been absolutely awesome. Um, oh, I wanted to ask oh, you earlier. This sure. is a podcast relating question. Do you recommend a website? We're still on the fence about it. Uh, what fence? Uh, what, I'm having what, a website. What website? Oh, do you uh, recommend, ha- as a podcaster, do you recommend having a website, or do you think it's... it's Because it, we weren't sure if we needed one or not. We have an Anchor oh. page, and we have a YouTube page. Oh. But we don't have a website. I guess if we were blogging, maybe. I have an Anchor page, and it's working really well. But I wanted to uh, do my own website to include the blog, and uh, maybe include links to the podcast. And it's a learning curve, okay. because things that were not transferred exactly like i wanted to and but i'm learning Mm -hmm. but i'm learning so is is this what you you hope for guys this conversation or oh yeah absolutely it was and another question i have is would you consider doing this in spanish yo hablo español ah yo también Uh, yo soy de puerto rico entonces podríamos hacerlo en el futuro verdad absolutamente y muchas gracias okay so is it worth it yeah. I think it might be worth it. There's probably just as many Spanish speakers out there in the world near us, around this, you know, in this side of the world, and, and a few on the other side. Yes, I 100% support that. Heck, if you guys want to, I don't know, schedule a time. Unfortunately, I don't speak Spanish, but 100%, I suggest doing it and doing it. I, that would be an yeah. awesome idea. Uh, and I have so, the contacts okay. to do that. Yeah. Beautiful. Right. Beautiful. Yeah. Then in that case, maybe, I don't know, schedule a time next sure. week or the week at work, like any time. Right. I, would, I think that would be a phenomenal idea. And this is the beginning so, of a beautiful friendship, guys. <laughs> yes. Completely nice agreed. It was Thank a pleasure you. to meet you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Total pleasure. This episode will be out. So editing video is harder than editing audio. Um, it takes so, about a week, roughly. Yes. That's fine. Yes. And now on that note, Alex, you wanna, so if you don't mind me, so Alex uh, is taking over some big pro- some, some projects at work. I think the audio will be ready very, very soon. Yeah. But the audio and video, it, give us a week, and it might be a little longer than a week. That's fine. Uh, and I will send you the audio file as soon as I download it and everything. Thank you Roger so that. much. Thank it's been you. a pleasure. Likewise. And we will, I will also make the uh, Discord page, too, so that you and us and other scientists who want to want to blog will do stuff, because that's a great Thank idea. You. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. Awesome. Thank, so Thank you so much. I, I, I love these guys for the opportunity. And stay out of trouble. <laughs> and uh, we'll and I hope to do this again. Yeah, right. absolutely. Okay. Until next time you guys do your Spanish version. Okay, perfect. I probably won't be there because I'll just be like, <laughs> but it's okay. All righty. Okay. All right. You guys take okay. care. Take care, guys. I'll... Ciao. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cool idea, huh?
All right, okay. we're done. Awesome. So I've got three things. I'm going to stop my video. I'm going to stop. Woo! The camera, which... Are they? I think they're all still recording. So for the sake of ease, I say just grab one camera and then we'll we'll switch between the Skype video. Did I stop it from recording? There. I stopped that one. And we stopped that one. Woo! Goodness. How do I know if it stopped? Uh, let me see. Uh, it's, it has a green pause on the front. Uh, oh, so this one did not stop actually. Okay. There we go. And let me see. Does it have? You're right. You're right. Really nice guy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, it's in the end, he's asking if he, he seemed uh, nervous, asking if we were happy. I was thrilled. I couldn't have been. I, I, don't, I don't think it could have gotten better. Okay. I'll tell him that they're free of not being prisoners. Oh. Okay. The sound doesn't show up on on these mics. What's the up? Mics are so directional that that sound won't show up. Oh, beautiful. Okay. Let me get the audio. Okay. Bada bing.